your Bibles with me in Matthew 18. I don't want to be the only one talking about how much I love my mother. But they are uh, men and women of God. And uh, as we went to the Jehovah Witness Church uh, Wednesday in Bible class, and yes, that is what I said. We went to the Jehovah Witness Church in Bible class last Wednesday. About uh, 20 of us showed up there at the Kingdom Hall, bringing them the kingdom. And um, they were handing out Bibles, and I was looking at their literature. And I guess this, uh, this woman got a little offended that I wasn't keeping up with the, with the moderator, because I don't even want to call him a preacher. He was just a moderator, moderating the meeting, because he was just preaching in dry bones and, you know, the frozen chosen there. And she looked at me, and she said, you need to keep up with them in the Bible. It's going to teach you something. I looked at her, and I said, sister, in a few moments, I'm going to teach you something. I said, knock, knock, we've come to your door. <laughs> She was, I mean, like right in church, she looked at me. She just stared at me, didn't she, brother? It shocked Brother Will. Brother Will, I never saw his pastor do that. But you see, like how he used to be bowed it, bowed it on the streets, that's how we are with Jesus, amen? Now, I had a point in saying that because as we were at the Jehovah Witness Church, they just amazed me at how much they focused on soul winning. Did anybody who went there, were you all amazed like how I was? Some of you, they continued for two hours to talk about how to win souls. That's all they did. Literally, they had a lesson on how to witness at a funeral. They had a lesson on how to witness at a funeral. If you are at a funeral, how to witness. First of all, how many know what Jehovah Witnesses are? How many have seen them? Okay, so only about four of you. Okay, let me tell you the rest of you who they are. They're those guys that knock on your door on Saturdays. They're the ones that leave those pamphlets of, of little... Pretty Jesus, you know, it's always little pretty Jesus on top, you know, and uh, that that's what they do. And I was there. I, I could not believe it. They actually had a little skit of two people coming up, uh, reenacting, witnessing at a funeral. Bob, I'm, I'm sorry for your your loss. And, you know, because they're reading it, literally reading it. Bob, I'm sorry for your loss. But Jehovah is with you. Who is Jehovah? And, and they went just back and forth. I'm, I'm being serious with you. And I began to think to myself, we wonder why the cults, listen, the cults grow statistically more in America than the church is growing. We wonder why. We, we think that our beautiful choirs and our mega churches is what's going to bring in the communities. No. What it takes is foot soldiers going door to door, going corner to corner, going to cubicle to cubicle in your office and reaching out. Somebody say the one. Now say it like you mean it, the one. Amen. Are you with me in Matthew 18? Can you say I'm there? We are in a series right now of the one. We're going to get back to the book of Matthew, verse by verse, expository preaching, Lord willing, next month. But I felt compelled to do this. Look at Matthew chapter 18 and look at what Jesus teaches us starting in verse 12. He says, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them, somebody say one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about the one. Somebody say, that one. That one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Now let me help you out here today. You are very cute and adorable, okay? Let me just tell you that right off the top, okay? You are cute and adorable. You are the most beautiful sheep in the entire world, okay? Y'all think I'm crazy right now. It's the point, okay? Pastor's not going, amen. 
And you are one of the cutest, my brother. You are adorable. But I want you to listen to me. From a pastor's point of view, it is so easy to do this right now. Uh, You know, I pray during the week. I prepare a message. God brings you here. You love the Lord. I, I think of Ishmael as a perfect example. You know, Ishmael has loved the Lord for quite some time, and he found Metro Praise as a good church. It's easy to pastor Ishmael and Robin. He is a beautiful sheep. He loves God. I mean, it's just, just wonderful. But the Bible says that if all I do is focus on him, that I'm not having the shepherd's heart. The Bible actually says that I have to say to Ishmael, Ishmael, you wait here as I go find another lost one. I've got to go find someone that's not as cute and as adorable right now as Ishmael is. Someone that may have a drug problem. Someone that may have a problem with their sexuality. Do you know that homosexuality is increasing right now, doubling and tripling every year? Do you guys have any idea of how fast this is growing? It is taking over young people's lives. They say right now, one out of every two evangelical Christians know someone in their family or close uh, friend that is gay or lesbian. And this world right now is so hurting inside. And the shepherd, Jesus, was teaching that, yes, we have the 99 here. Yes, the pastors are supposed to love you. I love you. You cannot think that you're expendable to me or you're not special to me. You are special to me. And as the church grows, uh, you know, I may not know every one of you by name, but we have leaders in place to bring you into their homes, just as I brought them into their homes. So never think that you're not special. But you have to understand, Jesus has his eye on that one. Somebody say the one. You see, Jesus says the shepherd leaves the 99 to get that one. Now, what I believe is that he's looking for a church of shepherds. You see, the word shepherd just means overseer. And I believe that when he told his disciples in Matthew 28, verse uh, 18 and 19, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. What I believe he was saying is exactly that. He was saying, I want you to go get that lost one. And I want you to disciple them. I want you to shepherd them. And go build my church. Somebody say amen. Now I want you to look up here at Mark 30, verse 13 through 14. Look what Jesus wants. This is a continuation of last week's message. What Jesus wants. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles. That they might be with him. And that he might what? Come on, and that he might what? Send them out to preach. See, you, see, you see what's happened in the church today? You, you see what's happened, what we've done as pastors. And I'll put we in there. As Daniel said, we as a nation sinned in his prophecies of Israel. I will say we have sinned because you know what we've done? We've gotten so comfortable with the 99. We build conferences around the 99. You know, we'll do mission trips around the 99. We'll sell books and tapes to the 99. And in churches, we'll look so good. You'll, you'll come in, and the church, will, it will just look beautiful. And, and you'll feel the little goosebumps, the choir, the, the, the band, and the preaching. I mean, you'll just feel motivated, and you'll go home, and you'll just be totally satisfied. You know why? Because there was 99 there, and that feels good. But you know what pastors have forgot to do? To go after that one. To go after that one, you see, that one could be that homeless man. That one could be the one next to you in your cubicle. And what you're not going to do is just say, hey, come to my church. It's a fun church, you know, or, you know, you're Catholic, I'm Protestant. You know, we don't have to stand and kneel all the time, so I think you'll like my church. No, we're not going to try to trick them. We're going to preach to them. 
You need salvation. You need to be born again. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, what Jesus did with these first 12 is he said, guys, come to me. Be with me. Think of the honor that you and I have as that 99. I'm one of those 99. And what an honor we have. We get to be with him every day. We get to wake up in the morning. Do you know that this week and last week have been the most powerful, anointed, uh, Holy Ghost times of my entire life? Last week after I left Sunday morning service, God kept dealing with me. I went home, put on worship albums, and I could not stop weeping in God's presence. God was just breaking me and molding me. And going out to the adopter block yesterday, I have never seen what I saw. Evangelist Peyton, when she came up and started preaching, the anointing fell. People's hearts started getting broken. We have a visitor here. Mother, God bless you. Coming here as a result of that. Amen. The anointing on the street. I mean, I just saw things that I have never seen before. And God is sharing with me. You know why I'm feeling so good? You know why I'm feeling Jesus? You know why? Because I have his heart. And he's starting to get me on what he's on. And, and when I'm with him, that's what he's about. He's about loving on me. And he's about caring for me. And that's what he's about with you. And he's about having you look for that one to go out and preach to them. You see, today, saints, Metro Praise has to be that church. Loving God, loving people. We have to be this church that says, Jesus, what do you want? You know, I have a pregnant wife right now, and she wants a whole lot. Amen? And Daddy is trying to keep up with her. Back rubs and foot rubs, all at the same time. And, 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 and I'm just learning, and I can only imagine what it's going to be like for another nine months. But have you ever asked Jesus, what do you want? Have you ever started off your prayer time instead of, dear Jesus, I need this, I need that, and I need this by then, and thank you, I love you. You know, Have you ever started off your prayer time saying, Jesus, I got an hour. What do you want? Just talk to me, Jesus. What do you want? What do you want? Jesus, I want to be with you today. You know, if you and I could be around Jesus uh, 2,000 years ago, if he would come back right now and walk the earth like he did then, what would he be like? What was he like then? Jesus was always going to hurting people. Did you see Jesus hanging out with the Jews saying, hey, guys, did you hear the Sermon on the Mount? Pretty good. Bestseller. I'm, I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm on New York Times or Jerusalem Times bestseller list. I got another one coming out, too, you know. Sermon on the Mount Part 2. Hey, I got this. Hey, I, I do miracles. Watch. I can take off my robe and, and, and whip it around, and there they go. Did you see Jesus competing with the Jews in their religion? No, where was Jesus? Jesus was with the woman at the well, John chapter 4, who had husbands that weren't, uh, she wasn't married to, so she was having adulterous affairs. There he is. Where else is he? He's with the children. Have you ever been to a third world country? You know, I haven't been there, but our, our missionaries tell us that when you go to a third world country, children just throng you. They just encompass you. They just run to you. Jesus had children around him to the point that the disciples said, get back, get back. And Jesus said, what are you doing? Let them come. Let them be around me. The kingdom is theirs. You see, we want to be with Jesus and to go out and preach. It's about what he wants. Look at your neighbor and say, it's about what he wants. It's about time we ask Jesus, what do you want? Boss is equal, equivalent to the word Lord. Master. It's about time that the church comes back to him and says, what do you want? Amen? 
And I can tell you that the Lord is looking for those people to go out and preach. And, and I know so many of us have needs. Listen to me. I could make a list of the needs that I have, the temptations that I face. But you know where those things get answered? They get answered when you're with him. When he went up to Peter, you know Peter was just a fisherman. Peter didn't know the Lord, obviously. He probably wasn't very consistent in the synagogue as a fisherman. You know, probably always fishing all the time. But this is what Jesus said to him. Come and follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. So what Jesus said is, you're going to get transformed as you come walking with me. You're going to continually be developed into my character. And I think that's got to be our heart, that as we're going with God, as we're going and doing things, being active for the Lord, that's when God starts moving. Because you know what? I've seen sister spiritual treasure chest saints. Let me say that again. There are some people that are on a treasure chest hunt for the Lord. And that what they're saying is, oh, pastor, they want to sound all spiritual. I can't go evangelizing yet because I'm not ready. I'm waiting for the Lord to do something. And it's like, you know, they're like the pirates of the Caribbean on some special treasure chest hunt. They're spiritually looking for the Lord. Let me tell you where the Lord is, all you spiritually deep people. He's with the poor. He's with the needy. That's when he changes you. When you, oh, I, I'm preaching better than you all shouting, but I ain't going to stop. He's with those that have need. And when you reach out to them, when you do for others what you want to be done for you, he will meet you in that place. He said to Peter, come follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Some people want to make the kingdom of God all cute and clean and cuddly, you know, like a plexiglass pulpit on Sunday. You know, we look at these pulpits and they're so just perfect and pristine, and I'm not saying the church should be dirty, but we look at Christianity that way. No, you know what? The church should be smudged with the hands of our children that come from the streets. Our chairs should be riddled with the, with the dirt from their clothes. Our, our altars should be filled with the, the dirty feet of sinners who have come to repent. This is not about looking cute and putting on a fashion show. Jesus came to save the lost And he'll get dirty with them Some of you can't get this in your mind Because you think of Jesus Always being around, you know, the 99 And you can't get it in your mind That he was around the one Start with the incarnation The theological term is called the kenosis The Greek word is kenosis Meaning self-emptying That means Christ was in glory With the Father from all eternity all eternity with angels, streets of gold, the cherubim and seraphim. But he emptied himself, Philippians, to take the form of a man, to become a servant. When Jesus Christ left heaven to come to earth, he was saying, I'll play in the dirt with you. I'll get where you are and reach you and take your suffering to bring you life. Now, there's, there, there's this teaching that says, well, Christ took our suffering, so we will not suffer. I wish you could explain that to Paul, who got stoned and beaten three times and shipwrecked and, and whipped on and lied about. You see, we will not suffer for sin. We're not here to be in sin and say, oh, I'm suffering, suffering with sickness and say, oh, that's the Lord's will. No, he took our sin. He took our sorrows and our sickness on the cross. It's paid for. We've been healed. Amen. But there is a suffering of the gospel to 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 go out and to preach and to be uncomfortable. 
The Bible says that when he sat down with the woman at the well, see, that's the one. He went after her. You see, he was on his way to Jerusalem, but he stopped in Samaria. His disciples went off to get something to eat. The Bible says he didn't even eat, so he skipped a meal. He began to suffer. The Bible says he was tired. You know why he was tired and had to sit down? Because he went out of his way. And when the disciples came back, they said, Jesus, uh, are you going to eat? Aren't you going to eat, Jesus? You know, we've been traveling all day. You know what he said? My meat, my food is to do the will of the Father. Now, if Jesus Christ left heaven in glory to take on flesh, to become weary, and to become hungry, that's suffering to Christ right there. Hello? To an eternal God just to get hungry and to take humanity on, to do that for us. Why can't you and I go out and preach his word? I want you to beat the Jehovah Witnesses. Amen? I want you to get fired up for God. And you may say, Pastor, I don't have it all. I'm on that spiritual chest, treasure chest hunt. Well, I uh, adjure you. I, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, follow Jesus out where he is, and you will see your life change. We're not asking you to be a hypocrite. Tell people who you are and what you are. But I'm saying as you follow God, as you go in the doing, you will become the being. Are you listening to me? Some of you want to be, then do. No, it's the doing, then the being. Faith is an action. You know what? I will never see a miracle until I, if I wait for a miracle to happen inside me. Like, ooh, I feel like there's a miracle working power in my hand now. Let me pray for sick people. No, the Bible says go out, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils. That is the action. Then God will do the doing, and then I'll be the being of a, of a preacher that can see some miracles. Are you all listening? Get out there and do it. Amen? Okay, so that's the introduction. And we talked about ten things. These are, the, these are the points. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. The back of your announcements are notes. The back of your announcements are notes. Part one of the message is on the website. He's going after the one. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to go out and preach. But what about my job? God's going to take care of your job if you seek the kingdom first. But what about my family? God's going to take care of your family. Do you know that my mom has been preaching to my sister, who's my older sister, for as long as she's been alive as well? But we're not stopping with Lisa. You see, if all we said, if mom said, you know what, I'm not going to go out preaching until Lisa gets saved. I'm not going to go out and do anything. You know what? We never would have saw all those people saved yesterday. Mom would have never saw. She goes to the nursing home every week. That's her ministry. You see, there are some people around you that they, they may want to have a hard heart. They may not want to go with God. That doesn't mean you just stick around them. Man, find 400 other people. Amen? Find that lost sheep. How many know what the lost sheep means? How many know a lost sheep? Come on. Let's just make it real plain. How many know a lost sheep? Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Here are the points right here. You're getting some notes. I'm just going to review the first six. Born again. Jesus wants us to be born again. This is in introspective, this is the Holy Spirit coming inside of you. John 3, 3 says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Okay, that's where it starts. All right, obviously, if you're not born again, you're not going to be a very good preacher. Okay? You've got to know Jesus. You've got to be born again. We believe that. So here it is. Let's cover the basis. Today, accept Christ. Be born again. In a few moments, we're going to do an altar call. I invite all of you to come forward who need to be born again or who came last week and were born again, and you want to do that publicly today. Make your declaration that you will serve Christ. Amen. Somebody say, born again. The second thing I believe Jesus wants is us washed, testifying, and selfless. Revelations 12:11 says they overcame him, talking about the devil, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. 
And I am so happy that we had some testifiers today. Thank you. And that's how I want it every single week. We will testify about God's goodness. Amen? And I love that we got John hooked on testifying in the back there. Because when we had the adopter block yesterday, he said, i got to testify again. The brother's already testified like three times. He won uh, two times, but he wants to keep testifying. So I said, okay, brother. So he came up after Evangelist Payne, and he keeps testifying. And I thank God for some of you who did it. Now others, you testify next week. The church of the living God should be a living organism of people always getting saved, talking about what God is doing. And you don't always have to go to way back when. Just talk about what God is doing now. God, you know, did this in your life. He blessed your business. He blessed your family. He saved your daughters. Amen. That's a testimony. Amen. I praise God for the testimonies that we hear today, but that is so important. It's not even just like it's like, well, we might do that. No, we better do that because that's how we overcome the devil, by being washed, by testifying and being selfless. Can you say amen? Thirdly, we get to the vision. So we're born again. Once we're born again, we're washed in that blood. We begin to testify about it, and we begin to live a selfless life. Now, what type of life are we supposed to live? The most important thing we're supposed to do is to love God and love people. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Can you say amen? We are in Matthew chapter 5, finishing the, the part of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's right there at that part of that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And what that means is when it says all the law and prophets hang on these two, in the new covenant, Jesus Christ took all of the commands, shrunk them down to the two most important, and he says, this is what you follow. You don't have to worry about staying away from crawfish or staying away from pork, and how many people can say amen? The dietary laws have been fulfilled in Christ, but what is the most important thing? Is it a dietary law? No, it's loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so when Christ commanded us, this is the vision of the church. Can you say the vision? One, two, three. Loving God. Loving people. I might have confused you. Let's try it again. Just say the vision. Not the word, the vision. Say the vision of loving God, loving people. Amen. One, two, three. Loving God. Are we doing that? Amen. That's what he wants. Look at point number four, holy. Can you say holy? Thank you. Jesus replied, oh, I, have, I forgot to change that scripture. Everyone turn with me to Hebrews 12, 14. Amen. It's the second time I did that. I apologize. Aren't you glad you brought your Bibles? Amen. Hebrews 12, 14. Okay, so we get born again. We get washed. We start testifying, living a selfless life. We start loving God. We start loving people. That's, that's our duty. Now, what is that going to translate to be? What is that going to look like? If you're in Hebrews 12, 14, can you say, I'm there? It says, it says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be what? And to be what? Holy. Come on. And to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Holy means to be separate from this world. I want to tell you something. God loves sinners. It was so funny because one of our youth was testifying, Gilbert, and he says, I wasn't a wretch like Will, but God still saved me. <laughs> and he got embarrassed just like he's embarrassed now, but I'm making a point. We are all wretches in God's eyes. Read Romans chapter 3 and tell me what you think you are in his eyes without the blood of Christ and the covering of his spirit. 
If I had a 10-link chain pulling a car, a tow truck pulling a car with 10 links, and one of those links break, the whole chain now is broken, the car doesn't move. Are you listening? Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead sinners live. You might not have murdered, but you might have lusted. You broke the chain. Your spirit was dead before you met Christ. You are not moving with Jesus on your way to heaven. That is as simple as a definition as I can give you. The Bible says we all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So in Christ's eyes, we are all moral wretches. As a matter of fact, he says that our mouths are open graves and that misery and destruction mark our past. I mean, you read Romans chapter 3 and try to play that game. I'm a good person. I'm going to go to heaven. There are no good persons. He did not come to make us better people like Joe used to do drugs. Now Jesus in his life, now he's better. No, no, no. I was dead. My car was not moving. Jesus was way up in heaven, and I was separated from him. And because of his blood, he brought me near to him. Now we're riding together. And the Bible says that if one of those chains break now as a believer, he will have grace and put it back together. But a lot of people look at God's grace as when they sin, when they sin. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to show you the difference between when and if. I used the example last week, and it gets quiet when I preach like this, but that's okay. Amen. <laughs> Amen, Papa. We're going to preach it. Holiness. The old timers used to say holiness or hell. It's still true. You might say, well, Pastor, you got people here with tattoos. Tattoos ain't a matter of holiness and non-holiness. You might say, well, we got people here with, with piercings and women, women wearing pants. I'm going to tell you what, some, some old Pentecostals hijacked holiness and told you that's what it was. That's not holiness. Christ said all those things that man does to his body doesn't defile him. It's what he has in his heart. He says murder and envy and bitterness and jealousy come from the heart. And he wants the heart to be pure. Amen? And then, of course, that will affect what we do. But uh, I gave the example last week of, of, a, of a man that used to travel from one shore to the other, from Europe to America, and that was a seven-week boat ride. And this is what the preacher said about holiness. He said when, when they would get on the boat, the captain would call them all together to the top part of the boat, show them all of the lifeboats, and say, now listen, if this boat sinks, this is what you grab a hold of. You all get in these lifeboats, you put on these life jackets, if the boat sinks. He said if the, the skipper, if the captain would say, when the boat sinks, you all put this on and get this in, in here. He said, man, we, we would turn around the boat right there. If the skipper was planning on the boat sinking, if he said, when it sinks, guys, everybody get in this thing. We go, how, how many of y'all would get off that boat? Some people say, well, when I sin, Pastor, the Lord forgives me. No, no, no. It should be if I sin. If. You know what the difference is? It's intention. What is your intention? Is your intention today to go back into a relationship that is sinful? Well, God's grace is not there for that. God's grace is not there just to clean up your mess. Just, just to be your little dirty rag that you wipe your hands on so you can go back out and sin again. The Bible says in Hebrews, that's trampling on the blood of Jesus. That is abusing the spirit of grace. You know what is the grace for? The grace is the privilege of the saints who have pure hearts for God. And if they should sin. Look at it right here. First John. Somebody say, preach it. My dear children. Verse 1 of chapter 2 of First John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you, that you will not sin. Could it be any more clear? 
Now, why do I got people telling me when they get caught in sin, Pastor, we all sinners. Why do I still hear that? Have people really caught the spirit of retardation in the church of America today? That's all I can say it is. It's foolish. Talking to somebody. I was talking, uh, you know, a young lady was caught in sexual perversion. Talking to the mother. It's wrong. It's wrong. But we all sinners, Pastor. Be okay with it. I'm like, all right, if we all sinners, why don't you let me just steal some stuff out your house then? If we all sinners, why don't all the married men just go get girls gone wild and have a party? Why don't we just feed our flesh like the Gnostics used to do in the first century? Because the cult that came around Christianity time used to say everything you do to your body doesn't matter. So let's all just sin. It doesn't matter. God will forgive you. He says, I write this to you that you will not sin. Any sin. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't lust. If you sin, get forgiven. Don't live in that sin. Come on. But if. Anybody does sin. See, it says not, it doesn't say but when. It says but if anybody does sin. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his one. The man who says, I know him, but I still sin. <laughs> I just got to be crazy right now because I, I heard it so many times yesterday. Oh, Pastor, I go to First Baptist at 5405 West Division with Bishop Tomzo as they're holding their little cigarette right here. I know Jesus. The Bible says right here, you say, I know him, but you do not do what he commands. What is that person? Is a... Oh, y'all got to get bold like your pastor and say it like you crazy for Jesus. The one who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a... So people who hold on to beers and alcohol, fornication, and say they know Jesus, they are a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anybody obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. None of us can be holy without Christ. Why do you think we need Christ? He is the anointed one. I'm not. Uh, perfect in myself. I couldn't even, you know, put myself uh, as a holy man to even be married. I couldn't do that. I was full of lust and fornication. But when I came to Christ, what did he do? He washed me, cleansed me. Bible says he gave me his word. He clothed me in his righteousness. Now I can follow him. And so can you. And if you should sin in your journey of following Christ, repent, get out of it. Don't acknowledge it in a sense of you're proud of it. You won't be proud of your sin going to heaven. That's why when I look at the gay movement and they call themselves Christians and they're proud of being gay, that's like, that's like the man in prison being proud of beating his wife. And we'll, we'll have spousal abuse pride day. Then we'll have a thief pride day. That's what gay pride is in God's eyes. You can't be proud of your sin. Repent of it and be holy. Somebody say holiness. Amen. Look at number five. We need to be empowered by the Spirit. Acts chapter 4. Uh, chapter 2, verse 4, rather, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This Friday, we had 100 teenagers in this place. Amen. 97 to be exact, but there was a few here and there, so I'll just say 100 that were coming and going. Listen to me right here. 
we talked to them about the scripture out of John because we're still going verse by verse. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Then it goes on to say, this he spoke of the spirit which had not yet been given. And we told them that Jesus was declaring that he was going to satisfy every one of their needs. And many of you here need to hear that today. Alcohol will not satisfy you, money and education, your career. You need the Holy Spirit. Amen? And then to live this life, to live that holy life, to go out and do works for God, you need the fuego de Dios caliente muy grande. Amen? Hey! You need the fire of God. You need the hot sauce, amen, come on, of Jesus. You need to get empowered by God. You need the gasoline of the Spirit. You can't do it without Him. And you know what happened? Guess what? When we had our altar call, this place was filled just like it was today. And students, for the first time, felt God's power, baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. Last week we had that happen in our Sunday morning service. And I think every service should always be empowered with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because that's what he wants. God does not want us to come here and just idolize statues and people and speakers, no matter how eloquent or good we may be. God wants you in every single service to feel the power of the Holy Spirit. Like J.J. from Good Times used to say, it's dynamite because he said you will receive dunamis power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Oh, you got to get that. And these words right here in the Greek when it says be filled and, and, and they begin to speak in other tongues. In Ephesians it says don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It has the present tense and the future tense. So it is saying they were filled and they were being filled. When it says to be filled it means presently to be filled and to continue to be filled. God is saying he wants to fill you up day after day after day with the fullness of who he is. Amen. That's why the Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world that's why you're more than a conqueror that's why you can do all things through christ amen that's why because the spirit is empowering you filling you first corinthians 12 says that there's nine gifts of the spirit galatians 5 talking about the nine fruits of the spirit all coming from the dynamite force the power of god inside of you if we did not feel god we would be religious just like every other religion but since we come here and encounter god we are different we have a relationship with him. I don't just want to talk about him like he's not in the room. He's in the room. I want to talk right to him and have him talk to me, somebody. I want to see him touch you and change you. And that's what a church ought to be. Can you say empowered? Amen. Let's move on to number six. We need to be a disciple-making church. See, this is what Jesus wants. You see, because I felt, you know, a few weeks ago when I was getting passionate about us being a soul-winning church, and I just got to stop right here and say, today's worship was powerful. Did you all feel that today? Amen. Last, yesterday, wasn't that powerful? Last week was powerful. Do you all see what I was trying to do? Does everybody see the point? Does everybody see the point of why I got off Matthew verse by verse? Why I might have embarrassed some of you or put you in an awkward position moving adults up to the front. Does everybody see it now? This place is different. This place is different, man. This place is filled with visitors. It's filled with God's power more than I've ever felt it before. That's what it's about. And I was so proud of you yesterday. I mean, we went out there in force. We went out there in force. I mean, the first one of the year was the, better, the best one of all the ones we did last year. 
We had people in charge of stations so that this year we could have a street team to witness. Last year I was the barbecuer, the basketballer, the, uh, the face painter. Are you all with me? Pastor, it was literally like four of us going out there servicing 150 people. But God brought us out there yesterday in decency and order. We had someone in charge of the food. We had someone in charge of basketball. We had someone in charge of, uh, of, of the sound. And, and then I was able to set up a street team that while everything was going on and we accommodated more people than we ever had, it was more closer to 200 than it was to 150 last year, as we were accommodating them, the street team could witness. And your pastor could do exactly what he came there to do. I just started shaking hands. Leading people to Jesus, casting out devils, spirits of crack addiction, and those different things. And it was so powerful. Do you see the point of why we're here? After we had those services last week, God put it on my heart. And I'm just reviewing this, why I'm doing this. Because I don't want anybody to be vague on what we're supposed to do. Here it is. You're supposed to be born again. You're supposed to be washed, testifying, and selfless. You're supposed to be keeping the commands of God, living holy, loving God, loving people. You're supposed to go out there and get empowered by the Holy Spirit and make disciples. Is this complicated to anybody? This is how we move forward. Can you say, help us, Jesus? That's what we all need is help. Pray for me, as Paul said. Pray for him. Pray that I may continue to preach his word fearlessly. Look at uh, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, stay here, have church, buy books, and have a lot of fun. Is that what it says? Papa, is that what he told you guys to do in Harvest? Stay there. Get your pastor's water, his Bible to the pulpit because he's lame and limber and can't carry it himself. Help him. Get to the pulpit. Stay there and set up a shrine of the holy, appointed, and anointed man of God of faith and power for the hour. Help him do his radio show, his TV show. Is that what he told you all to do? And I love Pastor Malcolm. He'll be preaching in the first week of May. He's going to bring it as well. Therefore, G-O, go. Somebody shout, go. Come on, shout it like you mean it. Go. It says, therefore, go. Get out of here, boys. After church today, y'all got to go. You've got to hit these streets. You've got to go to work. You've got to knock on doors in your neighborhood. You and I cannot just stay here. A stagnant pond becomes a a, a stinking pond. And that's why the chairs that you're sitting on, they call them what? A pew. Because if you sit on them too long, you start to smell. Come on. I know it's an oldie, but i got to say it. You've got to get out. You just can't sit here. You just can't just say, oh, I'm here, I'm here. No, you've got to get out and preach God's word. I thank God that my dad took me out to church and outreaches and that he drove the bus and many of the families here joining with us. I, I thank God that yesterday we saw our own children playing with their children because the Bible says go make disciples, not just converts, not just book signings. Make disciples. Get in somebody's life and disciple them. He said, boys, I discipled you. I spent three years with you. You knew when I ate, when I got got up, you knew what I liked and I didn't like or spent time with you. Now he's looking at Peter, James, and John. He says, get in people's lives. Don't let them just hide in the back corners of your church. Get in their lives. Get in their homes and bring them over to your home and disciple them. Teach them. Keep them accountable. Don't let them live secret Christian lives. I'm an undercover Christian. Shh, don't tell anybody. No, 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 no undercover Christians. Get in their life and find out who they are. Amen. We don't want no double agents up in here. Amen. You hallelujah for the devil.
devil. I mean, hallelujah for Jesus, but live for the devil. We don't want no double agent Christians. Let somebody into your life. That's what he said. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Praise God. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything. I've commanded you. And look at the promise. Here it is. You're going to go. But he says, I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. So even going to that illustration of Matthew 18, the shepherd leaving the one. When we leave, when I as a pastor leave to go to go out there and get sheep, I'm not really leaving you. Just like he never really left us. But the illustration gives you the point that we have to get up and go. See, but as they went, he was with them. He was working with them. And we together are a church. We're a unit. If we all do this together, God will bless us and increase us. And the Bible says when you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all the things we need are added unto us. Dad, could you testify that in 30 plus years of serving God and and putting him first, you were a youth leader, a bus driver, a small group leader, an associate pastor. Am I missing anything else? Nursery home, nursing home worker. Usher, greeter, drummer, all of that. Mom was the weed picker, cleaner of the church, cooker, servant, prayer warrior, and all your serving of God in 30-plus years. Did he ever let you down? Did he ever have you begging for bread? Come on, saints of God. Just put them first. Just love Jesus. Come on, sister evangelist over here. Evangelist Payton, has he ever let you down? Come on. Look at your neighbor and say, he ain't going to let you down. Just serve God. He's a beautiful God. Oh, I thank God he's so kind to us. Now here's the message for today. Will you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1? 2 Peter chapter 1. Oh, I thank God that, that, that you came today and that God is speaking to us and through us. I just felt in the, in the last couple of weeks just to enter into private prayer as, as, the, as the church is in corporate prayer because I, I felt that it was such challenging words that I was giving you that I didn't want there to be any distraction of whether or not you were doing this for me to to get some type of approval. And I know that can happen in churches. You know, we want to make the pastor happy. And so I've been in private prayer while you've been out here praying, and I've just been hearing the cries and and, and kneeling when you kneel. And I just, my heart was so moved that this church is moving in unity. That, that some of you have got it so much in your soul, like I am envious of you. Like I'm looking at David and the Crosco family, and I'm saying, I want what you guys have. I, I want, you know, what Ish has and his heart of worship. That, and then hopefully others of you who are new to the church and new to this thing, you don't think this is just because I hold the mic for 45 minutes that I'm any more better at this or more special. There are people here that are just as passionate as I am. My assignment, my part of this, of the big show today, is to do the teaching. And, and we're seeing other teachers raise up, and I can't wait for that to happen. In our youth ministry, we go once uh, at the end of every month, they get to speak, and our adults are doing once every three months, and they're going to start doing more. But listen to me. This church is built upon God. And when I come here, I want you to know, you know what I'm doing? I'm growing in faith. Somebody say growing in faith. Some people think that faith is just a one-time thing. Oh, boop, there you go. You got faith. No, the Bible says that faith is like a muscle. And that every one of us here may have the same muscle, but if we exercise it more, our muscles become more defined than others. And then we have measurably more than the other, and and we can do more. But the Bible says when we became Christians, we were all given the same measure. It's now what do we do with it that allows us to do more with it. Does that make sense? 
You know, if, 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 if you put my arm next to Arnold Schwarzenegger's right now, it may not look too good. Amen? And that's not probably a good thing to say amen about, but, you know, he's really excessive. But, you know, I got the same tendons. I got the same muscles. You know, I got the same makeup. But I can't do what he does. Now, there's some people in America that are obese that will look at this arm and be like, ooh, I wish I had that. Right? <laughs> amen. So what we have to do is work with what we got and start building that muscle. Then I can start lifting more and doing more. Amen? Somebody say, grow in faith. Look at Second Peter, Second uh, Peter one five. Look what Peter said. Here's what I believe God wants. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So you got the muscle. Now add it to this goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that the greatest enemy of the Christian church today is those two words right there, ineffective and unproductive? And that is what we will never be. Amen? Why do I keep uh, drilling this into you? Because this church is only three years old, and should the Lord tarry, we want to be 50 years old. And there are times in this church where where my wife and I and and the founders here, we need to really instill the vision of what this is going to be. And I want to tell you, we do not want to arrive at a place in 10 years from now where we are ineffective and unproductive. And there has been people that have left our church because of that. Because they wanted to be that secret service Christian, that double agent. And we began to get into their life, and they weren't living for the Lord. And, and, and we gave them space. We said, okay, well, let us know when you're ready. But they would come and get offended, and they would say, oh, well, this is not a church for me. And now they've gone to the, the saints of the comfortable and the compromising. That's the church they go to, okay, the bedside assembly where they're all sleeping, okay? And guess what? Now they're unproductive, and they're ineffective. They're unproductive. And ineffective. What's going on with the churches around Ohio Park? They're unproductive. For the great part, majority of them, unproductive and ineffective. What's going on with the churches for young people right now? Teenagers. Are they affecting teenagers' lives? You, you, do you see youth groups affecting teenagers' lives in your neighborhood? Do you see young adults being affected? No. For the most part, churches reaching the young people, which are our largest population group, They are becoming and they are ineffective and unproductive. How do we avoid that? We add to faith goodness. We say, God, we're going to live good lives. Knowledge. We get into this word. God, I'm going to study your word. I don't know it all. I don't know half of it all. I just want to know more. We begin to have self-control. We don't just do everything we feel like doing. We don't become gluttonous. We don't become addicted to television, sports, uh, smoking. We become self-controlled. We persevere. We don't give up. There have been times in this church that we've had five people. There's been times in this church that we've had hundreds of people. I, as your pastor, can't give up. If next week there's a whole lot of people, I can say amen. If next week there's no people, I still need to say amen and keep marching forward. Same thing in your life. You, you may see somebody not get saved, but you've got to persevere. You may get laid off from a job. God never said you wouldn't have trials. You may get laid off. You may get shipwrecked like Paul, but you will make it back to shore if you persevere. Amen? Has anybody here persevered? Oh, thank you, Jesus. I thank God for perseverance, and, and he will give it to you. Godliness. Wake up every day, God, I want to be like you. 
I don't want to be like Donald Trump. I don't want to be like, you know, Lee Iacocca, you know, the Fortune 500 company's businessmen. Wake up in the morning and say, I want to be like God. I want to be successful, rich, and blessed, and prosperous. Mothers, I want to be like God. Fathers, young people, I want to be like God. That should be your desire. Brotherly kindness. Continue to be kind. Continue to reach out. Continue to do acts of kindness and then love. And then the Bible says you will not be ineffective and unproductive. What's the opposite of that? You will be effective and you will be productive. Can you look at your neighbor and say, God wants you to be effective and productive. And I know he can. Use your life. I love you. <laughs> Turn with me to First Peter chapter 1. <laughs> Just want to see if anybody was listening to me at the end there. <laughs> we can have fun in church, amen? As long as it's effective and productive. You can judge me as a pastor. Don't judge what I wear, even though I got my chunklas on today and I'm still sweating up here. Jesus, help me. I'm going to come up here in my bathing suit and y'all going to have to turn your head. Just hose me down every now and then. I do not know how to stop sweating. We got to change those lights or something. But you know what? It's not about the clothes I wear. It's not about that. You want to come dressed up? God bless you. We, we appreciate that. It's, it's not about the money you make and all that. We're not saying uh, we're only going to honor those who give $1,000 a month in their tithes. No, you know what effective and productive is everything we just said. You know, I look at some of our um, newest members right here, and you may be intimidated by some of us who have been around. No, man, we love you. Just be effective and productive, and God will bless you. Amen? Look at First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. Be persistent in suffering. You will suffer. And we define that suffering is not suffering in sin. This is not suffering in sickness. This is not suffering in your sorrows or depression. Those things have been dealt with on the cross by faith. We walk in victory. Amen? The suffering we are talking about is when people don't like us, when things go wrong, when things happen that you have no control over and you think that God is playing a trick on you. Don't give up. Don't give up. God is with you. My dad had me fill out 50 circles one day when I was going through some discouraging times at the beginning of the church. And Nancy and I have been married as long as the church is old. It's, it's on the same calendar year. And my dad said, fill out 50 circles and put, fill in just one dark circle. So you have 49 left. And I had been married a year and the church was a year old. And I was just, you know, getting discouraged preaching to five people. Amen. It was getting hard after a while. He's like, we were just, I mean, they would amen until they couldn't amen anymore. <laughs> okay. And my dad said, fill in that one circle and now look at what you have left. Should the Lord tarry, you'll have 50 more years, 49. Some of us have to think about that when we're in the darkest of night in our trials. Jesus said, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil, because his rod and staff comforts you. Look at what he says at the beginning. Though you walk through. Amen. You're not living in the valley. You may feel like you are living there. You may feel like you have placed a tent there and you are now, you know, living there. No, you are going to go through. Amen. And this is what God says. Be persistent. Don't give up in this way. Greatly rejoice. Now it gets crazy right there. 
That's why we call this church Metro Praise. Amen. We're going to praise his name. Come on, somebody. The Bible says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. How many know there's all kinds of trials? There's all kinds of trials, but be joyful. These come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in what? In praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Get happy, somebody, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We should be happy. Hallelujah. Because when God's blessing, the devil's messing. But I am too blessed to be stressed. Amen. We just put it in God's hands. And you may say that's easy to shout about it on Sunday, Pastor. But it's harder in the midnight hour on a Monday or Tuesday. But listen, the same God is there. And he is full of inexpressible and glorious joy. I've always testified about the hardest time of our life, losing my sister, my mom, losing her daughter. She could testify that God met her with joy in that trial of her life. Am I right, Mom? Brought you through with joy, not with depression, not with Prozac, and beyond helping you fall asleep with a little butterfly. Brought you through with joy. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, get some joy. That's what we need. Amen? Praise God. Last point here today. Second to last point. Amen. I got a couple minutes here. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. See, aren't you happy your pastor preaches expository messages verse by verse? Because when I get on points, there are going to be a lot of them. See, once I get off, you know, just preaching a section, I just start making points like, hey, what should I preach about today? I had to stop myself at 10. I was going to keep, keep going and going. But I love you guys. We only had to go through four today, but that's okay. If you love it, can you say amen? First Timothy chapter 6 tells us what we should do. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Somebody say we have a good God. See, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong to be rich. Amen. Certainly do not hear this pastor say it's wrong to be rich. Amen. Those of you that have the ability and can do it, be rich in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget the little people along the way, though, all right? Amen. Now, if you're not rich, there ain't nothing wrong with that. Amen. God still loves us. Amen. And with our little raggedy gate going into our nice apartment, we got to play it off like that. That's okay. God is still good. Okay? Got a nice TV, but a tore-up gate. That's all right. One day we're going to put it all together. Amen. And, and this is what he says. Those who are rich, and I want to tell you now, and in response to the 6 billion people of the world, us 300 million Americans, which is about 5% of uh, 0.05%, right, of the population, 300 million. Is that 5% or 0.5%? Less than a percent. We are rich to the world. We have more than one pair of clothes. We are rich to Mozambique. We have cars. And so whether, you're not, whether you are rich compared to, you know, lifestyle of the rich and famous, think of it this way. All of us can be rich in our giving towards missions. Amen. And then those who become rich in this world and live in the 
top 1% of the wealth. We continue to increase. Remember, this is what God has given it to you for. He's given it to you so you'll be rich in giving right there and that you will enjoy it. So know that enjoyment is okay, but be rich in the giving. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Amen. Can you just look at your neighbor and say, you got anything to share? (laughs) Amen. Give it up. And God knows that the church will distribute those things good. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, God doesn't want us to love our riches. We can have our riches, but we need to be rich in giving. Amen? Would you stand up to your feet with me today? And if you love the Lord, can you praise his name with me? Jesus, we thank you today, Lord. We bless you today for all you've done. Man, would you come back up here today? Father God, have your way. Look at this last point, a true worshiper. The last thing that God I have on this list wants us to be is a true worshiper. That's how we're going to end today. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, this is the woman at the well, the story we were talking about earlier. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now what? It has now come. Somebody say, ahora. Now, right? Amen. Am I doing okay? Un poquito. Pastor habla español. Así, así. And has now come with the true worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you love the Lord today? Can you just raise up your hands and let's just worship him.